Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good morning to you. Welcome from me, Ali Bally, to Scotland's Talking. On the programme today, how should we be fighting back in the scallop war with French fishermen? They started throwing flares across and stones and shackles and trying to ram us. Yeah, it's a bit of an experience. The crew of a Scottish boat were among the British vessels which came under attack off the coast of Normandy in a row about fishing rights. Who do you think has got the moral high ground on the high seas? Also between now and midday, are you happy that Theresa May wants to invest billions more in Africa after we leave the European Union? I want to put our development budget and expertise at the centre of our partnership as part of an ambitious new approach. The ability to do this, to bring so much more to the table than just government funding, is what marks out the UK's development programme as so effective. Is that what Brexit is all about for you? And with Stranraer and the south-west of Scotland still cut off from the rail network because of a crumbling Victorian hotel in air, we'll be looking at the problems caused by neglected buildings across the whole country. Buildings are like human beings. Uh, they need, uh, when it's cold, they need a, a warm hat and they need stout shoes and they need a good overcoat. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. They're calling it the Scallop War. And I'm looking for your thoughts this morning on the clashes between British and French fishermen in the English, English Channel this week. A Scottish boat... The Honeybourne 3 from Peterhead was rammed during the confrontation off the coast of Normandy. The French fishermen, who vastly outnumbered the British, were angry that French laws on conservation of stocks prevent them dredging for scallops off their own coast at this time of the year. But there's no, nothing stopping our boats being there. And they're pretty unrepentant about it. It was worth it in the end because they've gone. They've gone further than 20 nautical miles. We've won the battle, but we haven't won the war. John Whittington is the skipper of the Golden Promise, one of the boats involved, and described what happened. They went straight to the Giant Sea first, um, started throwing rocks and shackles and old engine oil at him, and then I went to his, uh, to his aid. Um, obviously, we were both together then, and, and I just... They started throwing flares across, like throwing flares across the boats, um, and then um, yeah, they started throwing stones and shackles and trying to ram us. I had damage to, to my vessel. Well, I called the um, the coast guard up, like um, the French coast guard up, and um, Sherbrooke traffic, and um, yeah, there was no response to him at all to the, uh, to report the incident. Yeah, there was just just no communication with him at all, and um, yeah, they just couldn't care. They just wanted to sink us. That was it. End of. We was quite happily fishing away. We are. Entitled to go there because it's international waters. Um, obviously, after they chased us out, they went straight onto the big boats. And as you, as you probably see by the pictures and the, what's on Facebook and out through the videos, um, yeah, the Honeybourne, um, yeah, they, yeah, they put the jumps aboard him, and yeah, he was, um, he was a blazer at one time. I think they're throwing petrol bombs at him. The British government has made protests to the French authorities and demanded assurances that it won't happen again. So whose side are you on? Is it time to send the Navy in, or at least a fisheries protection boat, surely? Out, they should be going out with the British crews. Or are your sympathy, sympathies with the French? Is it fair that they're not allowed to fish their backyard, but other nations can? Just think of it. What if the situation was reversed? 
What if it was happening off the coast of Scotland? Which side would you take then? Now, I've said on this programme before, I think the Scottish fishermen get a raw deal from Europe. But um, I'm just sitting on the outside of it. It's just what I see and read. Um, it seems that we, we've given up too much. And we're going to pull it back when Brexit comes, but maybe the French are not going to let us do that as easily as we think. What do you think? Particularly if you are involved in the fishing industry, um, throw a bit more light on this for us, please, because I think it's one that could escalate. And, and it's one of these things as well that, you know, we're going to... I've said this before, but it's like I'm harping on here. We're going fancy a fish supper. Do you actually think of the work that goes in to get that fish on your plate? whether it be fish or scallops or whatever type of fish it is. You know, the, the, there's a lot of work goes into a lot of people, uh, men and women, risk their lives. So let your thoughts on this, because it, it could affect you. If all of a sudden, you know, you went into the chip shop and the fish just wasn't there. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, there's no fish today. Imagine the reaction there would be. You know, what do you mean there's no fish? Something we expect. Yeah, we expect them to go out and do it. But do you back them here? What do you think? Or treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. As I say, if you if you're on the uh, the north coast or or indeed in, in any of the areas that uh, you fish from, and you'd like to comment on it, I'd, I'd like to hear, particularly uh, from a fishing family or from uh, someone who goes out there uh, fishing and just, you know as a as a livelihood. Not somebody that takes a pack of sandwiches in a Tupperware dish and sits at the bank of somewhere and just um, sort of warms rod. You know that's that's the easy way. That's a relaxing. Yeah, see that. Is that still one of the biggest sports in in the UK? It is, isn't it? There's more fishermen, more people take up fishing than anything else. John sends an email in on the fishing situation here, and he says, uh, "My sympathies are not with the French, but." Why is it when the French feel strongly about something, they take action? Whereas we, the British and Scots, roll over and let everybody just take it from us. That's it about the French. I see. So you're not supporting them, but you say, you know, I, see, I actually see what you're saying. It's true. Think of the, the blockades and the, the motorway chaos they cause when they decide to, to protest against something. They, they let their government know. So, John, thank you for that. He's not supporting the French, but here's another one that says, uh, Yo, Mr. Bally. Thank you, Mike. The British fleet appear to ab be abiding by the rules applying to them. If the French find their different rules do not suit them, then it's for them to take this up with their own ministers who set these rules. And as far as they seem to be doing, that's what they think they're doing, isn't it? That's the way the French do it. They protest. They block roads. You know, they block... They Attack the sea is wrong, but should the British fleet of uh, fishing boats be actually protected? Uh, that's, you know, should we actually be sending uh, some protection with them though? What do you think? O treble three twenty twenty four o one. Also, in a moment, I want you, particularly, obviously, if you're a smoker, this is going to apply to you. Not having a go at you if you're a smoker. All right, if you want to do that, that's entirely up to you. Just don't do it around me. Okay, so. What do you do with your cigarette butts when you're finished with them? Flick out the car window, or indeed, just throw them beside the, the road. More about that in a moment. This is Scotland's Talking. Quite a few comments coming in on social media now about uh, the fishing rights and scallops war. We'll go back to your comments 
in a little while. Also, in the next hour, I'll be asking you what you think of the Prime Minister's plan to spend some of the country's Brexit bonus, if there is such a thing, on Africa. And again, already some comments coming in on social media about that. But at the moment, here's the question. Are you a smoker? What do you do with your cigarette butts when you're finished with them? The chances are we've all come across plenty of them littering the streets, outside restaurants or outside pubs. You see mounds of them, you know, they've just come out there for a cigarette and the ashtrays are either full, if there are any ashtrays being supplied, not many. Um, but they're, they're around. A new poll shows half of smokers, they actually don't see a problem with throwing theirs down the drain, where many of them end up in the sea. So they walk across, see a drain, flick, and it goes. But did you know that cigarette ends are one of the biggest threats to marine wildlife? Those filters, the ones that they're flicking down the drains, are full of thousands of chemical ingredients, including arsenic, lead and nicotine. And it may surprise you to know they also contain plastic. Keep Britain Tidy has started a campaign called Flicking Blue Murder. Chief Executive Alison Ogden-Newton joins us on the programme now. Alison, good morning. Good morning, Ali. So here we are then, the smokers getting again. Well, this isn't about getting at smokers. This is about asking smokers to um, help us do the right thing. And the good news is that when we spoke to smokers, 70% of them, when they were made aware of, of the damage they were doing, said that they would actually look for a bin. Right, so is, it, is this, the, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, we, we, and I said this at the top, we were not having a go at smokers, we were asking them if they did this to change their habits, really, isn't it? That's right, it, absolutely. This isn't about whether or not you smoke, this is about what you do with your cigarette, uh, but when you finished your cigarette. Um, and I think an awful lot of people just think they're very little, um, and they look a bit cottony, and uh, what harm could they possibly be doing? But actually, we're talking about many, many millions of uh, cigarette butts ending up exactly where we don't want them, which is in the seas. So when they get thrown down the drains, and, and I can see that, you know, that people think rather than just flicking them on the pavements if there is nowhere to put them, oh, there's a drain there, I'll, I'll, I'll put it down there, and that gets it out of the way. What actually happens to it then, Alison, when it goes there? Does it not break up, or, or, or what's, what's the damage that's actually causing <laughs> Well, actually, if you flick it into the street and not even directly down the drain, the chances are it will go down the drain. Um, so um, we're asking everybody to really think from, from wherever they're smoking to, to, to find a bin. So um, in answer to your question, um, if it goes into the drain, it, um, it, it, it's very likely to end up in the water table because um, the, the, there's a very hit-and-miss approach to filtration. Um, and if a cigarette, which statistically is, is very small and very likely to slip through, does end up in the water table via rivers, it ends up in the sea. And um, when it does break up, which it can do, all it does is break up into microplastics. So um, it presents very much as a potential food source. So you do see um, marine life having a go at it. Um, and perhaps even ingesting um, part or some of a, a cigarette butt. But as it breaks down, not only are the chemicals totally toxic, one sig single cigarette can make uh, five litres of water absolutely toxic, but it breaks up into microplastics, which, as we all are beginning to learn, enters the food chain and poisons us all eventually. Mm. So you must then, as you say, you, you, you've got the evidence of um, it harming uh, sea life. Um, this, this is a, a fairly, I know you're talking about cigarette butts at the moment, but when you think even back just 12 months ago to us, 
you know, thinking about plastic straws, for instance. We've had that campaign going, and that's been successful, hasn't it? It has, and it's really good that people are starting to realise the impact um, their single-use plastic items are having and how, where they're ending up and the damage it's doing. If anybody's ever walked on a beach, if you look um, as you're, uh, you know, you walk along the lovely sands, and if, you, if you're like me, you, you see litter, um, you'll see cigarette butts everywhere, and that isn't because everybody who goes to the seaside is a chain smoker. It's pre- precisely because those cigarettes have gone through the drains and actually ended up in the sea and washed back up onto our shores. So if we want to hand the plan- planet back to our kids in a better state than we found it, and we want to be able to go for a walk along our beautiful um, coastline uh, without uh, tripping over thousands of cigarette butts, then, then everybody needs to help us with that. Just finally then, Alison, you were talking there about, um, you know, the amount of people that the percentage, I think you said 70% said they would change. So therefore, is it, I mean, one thing you just mentioned there, we're talking about that they got <clears throat> a little flag flying in my head that I'm not, I, I am a non-smoker, so it doesn't affect me. But if someone does just throw it to the side of the road, um, if it rains, then you're right. It's just going to go down the drain, isn't it? And, it is. So is it really just... Um, people needing educated. I was going to use the word ignorance there. I don't mean that. I mean, they're just not thinking. That's right. I mean, that's what Keep Britain Tidy is all about. It's behaviour change. We just want people to make small changes in the way that they behave in order for us to be able to make a very big difference to the environment. And with smokers, if you can find a, a bin and make a little extra effort and make sure that cigarette butt does not enter the environment, you'll be making a huge difference. Right. Can you hang on a second? Because I've got Glenn on the line, one of our listeners, who, who wants to say something about cigarette butts. And I just want to find out if it affects him. Glenn, good morning. Are you a smoker? Yes. Yes, Ali. I've been smoking the most part of 40 years. Right, right. And, and does it ever cross your mind that you might be harming the, the sea life? No, no, Ali. I, I'll put my, my dog in, in a bin if I can find one. Right. No, but, uh, and I've learned a lesson as well in the city centre. Uh, a, a year ago, I got a fine £80 for dropping a cigarette in. Right. So I've changed, it makes me attitude change a lot. As soon as I see, if I've not got a bin, I, I just snip it out and then I hold it, I get to a bin, then I put it in a bin. I realise now. Is, is that, I, Glenn, is that I, a problem, lack of bins for a smoker? Yes. Because something, like, I hold it until I get a bin. Right. I never throw it down and I, and I never put it in drains, never do that. Okay, so, but it's more to do with getting another fine that you're worried about, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> nothing to do with that, no. Well, okay. <laughs> I learned my lesson, they're £80 fine for dropping the dog in. Right. Well, there were no bins about. Right, of course, that's what I'm saying, yeah. But, but you, you think this, this campaign by Keep Britain Tidy is a good thing? Do you think it will bring, uh, make mo- more smokers like yourself think about what they, what they do with the, the dog ends? Yeah, that's right, yes. Excellent, Glenn, thank you very much indeed. So there you are, Alison. Uh, 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 that must be a problem as well, lack of bins. It is a problem, and, and we, we would very much like to work with um, the... Uh, you know, the manufacturing industry to look at solutions on that and perhaps even um, does I have packets designed with the integrated um, pouches to be able to put the cigarettes in. Right. You know, we're, we're open to any and all solutions, but in the meantime, if it is difficult, we just would ask people to make that little extra effort, please, and, and it's glad, you know, I'm glad that we've got Glenn on our side. Indeed. Well done. Yeah, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Alison, and bringing that to our attention. Thank you. Alison Ogden-Newton from the Keep Britain Tidy campaign, uh, Flicking Blue Murder. Um, John Carr's on the line as well. John, good morning. 
Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? I'm fine, thank you. Your thoughts on, on cigarette ends, then? Well, I'm not a smoker, but here's an idea for you. See all the billions of pounds that's brought in in tax from the cigarettes. Why don't we design a filter that has made of fish food or some kind of chemical that feeds the fish, feeds the birds? And then when you throw it down in the ground and nature takes its course, the birds eat it. Hmm. An interesting thing. An interesting thought. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how you how you um, break down nicotine to make it um, okay for wildlife. I'm not quite sure because that's what's in the filter, isn't it? That's that's what the smoker needs. Yes, yes, it is. But with today's technology, I mean, they can send men to the moon and Mars and all the rest there. How can they know? That? I mean, they've got all the money there, Ali. They're taxing it stupid now, so they're all the money's there. They can't say. Well, we've not got the money. Where would we find the money? Because it's there. We may as well use it for something useful. Certainly. And then we would know where it was going. Yeah, yeah, but you, you're right. I mean, the cigarettes are very highly taxed, aren't they? Yes, they are. And we never find out where it goes. It goes into the coffers of the Chancellor, and then we never see it. So put it into use. It should be going into hospitals. It should be going to cancer research. But it isn't. It? So where is it going? There's a very failed place for it. End the problem. Okay, John, thank you very much indeed. This is Scotland's Talking. Talking about cigarette butts, as we were a few moments ago. Uh, here's one in from Liz. She says, I'm not a smoker, but it seems everywhere I go there are cigarette butts littering our streets or being put down the drains. It's their cigarette butts. Why don't they either put them out of bin or take them home? and bin them. Well, that's what Patsy says she does. Uh, Patsy's come in and says, uh, listening to the show, I carry a small ashtray in a bag all the time. I didn't realise about the drains, though. Thank you very much. Well, that's what we're here for on a Sunday morning, bring you little bits of nuggets of information that you probably didn't know about. Roderick says, I didn't know about that. Cigarette bubs going down the drain. I am guilty, but I will never do that again now I know. See, there you are. So that's it. We've sorted that out. Uh, who else can I go to here? Pamela, good morning. Hi there. Good morning. What would you like to say then? I'd like to say it's costing taxpayers over £95,000 per year for city councils, mines in particular in Dundee, Scotland, mm-hmm. to spray chemicals called Roundup weed killer, which has just been deemed by all the scientists all across the world and the IARC, which is International Research for Cancer, and it's, ca- it's causing cancers and diseases, and the farmers spray it all over our foods. And you can't wash it off. And I've had a petition now for two years to try and get it out of our cities. Nobody seems to care about that going down the drain. Mm. It's, it's well All that goes down the drain when it rains, and it's, ca- it's, it's killing all the fish, all the wildlife, all the insects, all the little worms. All It's given us diseases after a few months or up to two or three years. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A gentleman from America called John John Lee Dwayne Johnson uh, just got nearly half a billion pound. I know, I read that. That was absolutely because, amazing. Yeah, exactly. But the, and nobody but the manufacturers... Nobody, nobody hang on, nobody hang on a minute, hang that. on. Just wind your neck in, woman. Good grief. <laughs> Sorry, I've had a petition for two years. I'm so you've nurse, said that. I'm watching th- people getting diseases left, right and centre with chemicals sprayed all over the place. That's the third, that's third time you said that. 
Can you the let me say something? I've already eaten orange grass. And oh, for goodness sake. Right, OK. Uh, I'm sorry, but you can't come on here and just say that that particular product is this, this and this without any proof, and she won't listen. So, you know, right. Uh, John, hello. Good morning, Ali. I'm glad that you don't smoke. You're doing the right thing, Ali. You will save money and might save your life. Because I, I have... Lots of my friends have died, died with smoking. It's a dangerous habit. And the people who throw their butts on the place... If I got a penny for every butt I could see in the street, I'd be a millionaire. And none of them seem to worry about, about these bins. Most of the time, they don't give a damn about the bins. They throw it willy-nilly. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's a habit, you know, and they themselves can't get out of the habit, are they? Mm. It's a terrible habit. I don't, no, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm not, you know, as we said at the beginning, we're not having a go at smokers. Now, I don't no, see, but, but I don't see buying a, by being a non-smoker that I'm saving money. Because well, I, you saved yourself, Ali. Yeah, well, well, I, I don't know because you know I didn't spend it in the first place, so I'm not saving it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, if if I smoked fifty, sixty a day and I stopped, then yes, that's you when you save money. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, yeah. I, if someone wants to smoke, that is their choice. That's the way I look at it. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's dangerous. I tried it's it. I, I tried it. Didn't like it. Did so, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Good like, for you. like everybody else, and I thought, nah, don't like this very much. Apart, apart from I, I, the smell that hangs around you for ages. Yeah, that's correct, Ali. The nicotine, my house, my first wife, it was like nicotine all over the place, it brown walls. And she's dead, you know, and my, my, my sister-in-law, they're all, they're all dead now with through smoking. But you can't tell them, before you have you just dying, and, and then again, the natural health, it costs them all that money to attend people who are killing themselves and paying to kill themselves. And cigarette butts, <laughs> they're everywhere. They're just... And, it's, it's a massive problem, and you won't cure it because people today do give a damn. But yeah, but they, they do give a damn because we've already had one, two, three. There's three people that I've got texts in from three? today. Yeah, uh, but it's three more than you know who, who didn't I, know. These are the three people. Million. You know, these are three people that have taken the trouble to text us. There will be other yeah. people who have listened to that story and didn't and are smokers and were not aware of what they're doing by throwing their, their cigarette butts away. So maybe we've now just educated us. So they do care, John. They do well, care. Well, Ali, Ali, people today, they don't care about most things. I mean, you could talk about this all day, but they still will. Most, most of them, not them all, but most of them will just throw, throw the cigarette butts everywhere you go. Even in the bus stations, whatever. I find a penny, I'd be a millionaire. There's so many, and the poor dustmen, dustmen, I've got to clean all this up the back of them. They don't give a damn, you know. That, you're lucky you've so got dustmen or street sweepers there. Well, we've got dustmen. Oh, oh, yes. Have you got dustmen? Um, yes. What's the clean street, what's, what's, a, what's a dustman? Tell me what. Oh, do you mean a street well, orderly who clean, sweeps oh, the streets? <laughs> got new I, titles I, I, now. I, all the new names that they give people a street orderly. Oh, yes. And no, I'm not, not, not my best man. I'm a street orderly. He still cleans up the rubbish. <laughs> John, <laughs> John you and I, will, there's a lot of things we'll never agree on. So. <laughs> okay. okay, but again, you're not smoking, stay that way, and your family as well. And Thank you, you very much. Right, okay. Right. And you take, stop smoking. Keep, okay. It's nothing to do with stopping smoking. That's the whole point I'm making. I'm not having a, a go at people who smoke. That's up to them. We weren't having a go at all. We're just wanting those who do smoke to be aware that what you do with your cigarette butts when you're finished with them, the chances are, as I say, there are many littering the streets. And as we were hearing from uh, Alison 
from the Keep Britain Tidy campaign. Uh, there is, it is causing a problem. Those filters are full of thousands of chemical ingredients and they are poisoning our sea life. So think about it when you're discarding your cigarette butt ends. That's, that's what we're making the point of. So, what do you think of the Prime Minister's plan to spend some of the country's Brexit bonus on Africa? Yeah, she's going to send millions of pounds there. And I'm also, in the next hour, going to take you back to last week's show when we started talking about uh, the situation in air where the hotel at the station has had to, is closed down, it's causing problems. Well, there are more buildings throughout Scotland that um, are, are having problems. We'll be doing a bit of a catch-up on that in the next hour as well. This is Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Good morning. This is Scotland's Talking. What do you think of the Prime Minister's plan to spend some of the country's Brexit bonus, if there is such a thing, on Africa? Theresa May says she wants to boost Britain's investment on the world's poorest continent after we leave the European Union and pledged to spend an extra £4 billion there to boost their economies and create jobs for young people. Now, if you were a Leave supporter, is that what you thought you were voting for? Surely if there's any extra money, shouldn't we be spending it here? Or... Do you think the Prime Minister is quite right to be strengthening our economic and trading relationships around the world just now? Here's some of what she had to say at a media conference in South Africa during the week. I want to put our development budget and expertise at the centre of our partnership as part of an ambitious new approach and use this to support the private sector to take root and grow. And I can today announce a new ambition. By 2022, I want the UK to be the G7's number one investor in Africa, with Britain's private sector companies taking the lead in investing the billions that will see African economies growing by trillions. So a driving focus of our development programme will be to ensure that governments in Africa have the environment, knowledge, institutions and support to attract sustainable long-term investments in the future of Africa and Africans. And to help bring those investments about, I can today announce an additional £4 billion programme of UK investment in African economies that will pave the way for at least another £4 billion of private sector financing. We will continue to invest in the human capital that underpins future prosperity, ensuring that young African men and women have access to the quality education, healthcare and skills they need to fulfil their potential. And we will use our influence and global standing to encourage other developed nations and the global institutions of which we are a leading member to take the same approach. The ability to do this, to bring so much more to the table than just government funding, is what marks out the UK's development programme as so effective. So there we have Theresa May announcing £4 billion to be spent in Africa. What are your thoughts on that? As I said just before we heard her talking there, if you were a Leave supporter, is that what you thought you were voting for? £4 billion. Surely it could have been used in this country or even half of it used in this country. 
your thoughts, please, on 0333 uh, It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply for their charges. You can also give your thoughts on Twitter, and it's hashtag Scotland's Talking, or you can send me a text, and the text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. OK, uh, on the phone line, it's Anne. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Uh, Mrs May. Yes. Mrs May start where she needs to be really doing some business, Britain. Four billion. Four million for Africa. Four billion. Four billion. No, no, not million, billion. Yes, I mean, come on. She's running out of nothings. Why does the woman not just get some balls and start being a prime minister instead of a wine minister? Show the NHS some of this $4 billion money. Our bloody NHS has gone down the shoot with the dog ends in the street. I've been unfortunate enough or fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of the NHS treatment just a month ago today. Massive heart attack, needed stents fitted. Really, really needed help all the way. Mm-hmm. What are the government doing about people like me, 72-year-olds that are on their own? They're, they don't have the backup for us. I was in the hospital on the Sunday. I was home on the Thursday. Home on the Thursday and back to normal by their way on the Friday. So so what then are you saying should have been done for you then, Anne? What should have been done is the NHS should have the money. Any extra money that the British government's got should be at the moment being, I would think, Go to the NHS. I mean, the governments of recent years and past years are doing what Hitler couldn't do. They're bringing Britain to its bloody knees. We don't have a national health service. We don't have yes, housing. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We, we do, but Ali, it's, it's a, a part-time. You wait a doctor's appointment. You phone a doctor on a Monday and they tell you they'll give you an appointment in three weeks. Three weeks, people could be dead and buried. I know a lot of people abuse the system. I'm quite sure they are. Is it, is it not a bit? Is it not a bit two-faced here? You saying, you know, in one sentence that you've had heart surgery, you've you've been looked after, you were in hospital, yeah. etc., and and now yeah. also you, you're you're complaining about it. I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not complaining about it. The, the staff, the nurses, and everything are wonderful. But you've got four or five nurses and two or three specialists doing what you need 10 and 15 nurses and five and 10 specialists for. Mm -hmm. If they kept the money in the country, in Britain, instead of giving it to Africa or anywhere else for that matter. Yeah, I mean, the foreign aid bill is is amazing. It's just huge. I'm with you on that. I mean, amazing is not the word for it. It's bloody stupid. When Britain needs the help of its own people, why start off in Africa? That's a wee bit further away than Marvel would normally reach. But as I say, Theresa May and people like her, they don't live in a real world alley. She'll never have to worry if she falls and breaks her leg and needs a new hip and things like that. She'll always have the specialist, the doctor. They don't live in a world where you've got to work for eight in the morning to half past five at night to keep a roof over your head pay bills, and if you take ill, hope that you're, you're well enough to be kind of sent home and taken care of. Now, I have had excellent help from most of the staff at the NHS. 
and you really couldn't do without them. I don't care who we are. But enough is enough. Theresa May is needing to grow a set of balls. And if push comes to shove, put a 10 pence tax. That was always the thing, wasn't it? Up your insurance, up your tax. It makes the money up. Mm. For people who say over 150000 a year. I just can get concerned that, you know, when we're shouting for more money to be paid into the health service. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's not needed. I think it is for certain areas. But, yeah, but I just get worried that, you know, when politicians say we have donated or, or we have made available um, an extra 25 million or whatever it is, 250 million for the uh -huh. health service, I'm never quite sure that I'm happy as to where it's going. Uh-huh. You know, exactly. It's going into a black hole and we just don't know where it goes. And the health service keeps saying, we need more, we need more. That's right. Well, why don't they have... Surely somebody somewhere can come up with somebody who's responsible, a department who's responsible for the funds that are given to the NHS. And if Hospital A needs equipment, needs staff... I mean, what good words full of beds we know nurses, no doctors and can you take patients? Mm -hmm. We've got hospitals that can't be used. We've got equipment that can't be used. But Theresa May is talking about, say, as I say, obviously Africa came to mind this moment. I mean, I'm 72. I've been given to Africa and people like in fairly six at the Sunday school. Now, if they haven't managed it in the last 60 odd years, hardly going to manage it now because she just went on a jig and a dance and offered them billions. I don't think we're likely to see her on Strictly soon, do you? Uh, well, no. No, no, no right. Not for her I'd like the woman to do something for her own kind, Britain. Well, we've got to we've got to keep in mind as well. I mean, you're talking about money for the health service. We've got to keep in mind that that's a, a devolved issue and the health service in Scotland is the responsibility of the Scottish government as well. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the government as a whole, I would say, for... United Kingdom. I mean, this, it's North East or it's South East or it's this and it's that. That's what's wrong, Ali. It's been bro broken up into so many different wee bits and bobs. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Okay, Anne, thank you very much indeed for your comments. Um, just looking on social media here, uh, see what the, the comments are. Anne Taylor, she has to go. She's a joke. Um, I take it she's Talking about Theresa May, uh, Linda Hughes says Nicola Sturgeon donated an extra £11 million to Malawi after the UK uh, funded. Uh, that could have been spent in Scotland. Thank you. And she says, and I don't agree with Theresa May giving this either. Thanks for that. Um, Rod's got a few comments about different things that we've been talking about today. Thank you very much indeed, Rod, keeping me busy here. Theresa May used the words, she says, £4 billion for private companies. All that means is her Tory buddies will make a fortune. Thank you. Uh, Babs McCrew says, why, oh, why is this woman promising to give, us away, to give away this money? We need it in this country. Pensioners need more money. Do they? Do they really, Babs? Uh, okay. NHS need to help. It could do with get people out of poverty. We need affordable housing. I could go on and on. I feel she is making this country look stupid by giving away our money. Okay. Uh, another one here that says, I think it's wrong us sending our money away after Brexit. 
we need everything ourselves. Well, we're at a stage at the moment that we don't know what we need, do we? That's that's the whole problem. Uh, Duncan in Glasgow says, when Tories start talking about the economy investment and investment, I get very worried that economic strategy, particularly regarding manufacturing, has systematically hollowed out Scotland. OK, thanks for that. Um, can I go on the phones? Yeah, John's here. John, good morning. How are you? Very good morning, Ali. How are you? Good, thank you. You've I, got your point? My point, Theresa May in Africa, why don't we keep her there and let someone else run this country? Basically, I fell back when I had the mention of $4 billion. I couldn't believe it. $4 billion? I mean, when you look at it, your last caller was right. We are in a state at the moment, it's unbelievable. We're looking for every pound. We've got an economy. We've got vast amount of people unemployed who should not be unemployed, by the way. You're better in work. But we've got a national service to be proud of. But we need the investment and more investment in, in Scotland as well, Ali. You you say, you know, that um, let someone else run the country and leave her out there. Uh, I, um, I know there's probably some in our own party that agree with you, but what's the alternative? You know, who is the alternative? Jacob Rees-Mogg or Boris Johnson? Really? Well, I mean, you can look at one thing. Uh, Theresa May likes to wear leopard shoes, but strictly she can't dance. And I'll, I'll be wondering what she'll be doing tomorrow in Westminster when when Mr. resumes, Ali. Okay, thank you very much indeed, John. Um, and some interesting um, video coverage of her dancing on uh, social media at the moment, especially the one where she's uh, dancing opposite Rowan Atkinson. If you haven't seen that, that's shouldn't say, but it's really funny. Uh, 33 2020 it's Scotland's talking. I've uh, got some more comments coming in. As I say, you can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you if you have a, a comment. F- £4 billion, not million, just in case you're not hearing that. £4 billion she's pledged to go to Africa once uh, Brexit takes hold. This is Scotland's Talking. I'm going to take you back to last week's show when we had the boss of ScotRail, Alex Hines, taking your calls on Scotland's Talking. Robert was one of our listeners who got through to ask his question on air. I travelled from Stranraer to Ayr, and when I got off the Ayr, it is an absolute disgrace because for a simple reason, they're working in the Ayr Station Hotel. There is absolutely no cover whatsoever if you're standing waiting on a train. The vestibule is all closed, and I would like to know what's going to be happening with that. Okay, so, um, Robert, firstly, I'd like also, to... there's no toilet facilities. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. Okay. okay. So, I was in uh, air on Monday. Um, we've got a bit of a situation down there. Um, so, we have a big old station hotel, uh, which is privately owned, and it's in a very poor condition. And uh, the council there uh, quite rightly uh, said that this building is dangerous. And so we had to change the way we operate the station to uh, make sure that our staff and customers are safe. Um, So I was down there on Monday having a discussion about um, how we move forward from this one. There are actually temporary toilets available at air. I saw them myself uh, when I was down there on Monday. 
Um, there's a couple of things we need to do here with Air Station. Firstly, we need to make sure that no matter what happens with that building, we continue to operate the station uh, so Air can still benefit from its rail service. Um, secondly, we need to decide what we would have to do if the condition of that building deteriorated further, and that's something we're working with the council on and then much more importantly is what's the long-term future for air station because i think we're all agreed we can't continue as we are well the situation in air has got a lot worse in the last week south ayrshire council issued an even stronger warning about the state of the station hotel and extended the exclusion zone around it with the effect that scotrail has been forced to cancel all services south of air Stranraer has been cut off from the railway network since Tuesday and everyone travelling to and from the Irish Sea Ferries has been forced to go by bus. The owner of the building, a Malaysian businessman, is nowhere to be seen. Brian McGinley is a local councillor. The council doesn't own the building. We've acted judiciously, we've monitored it monitored it over a number of years. Our major priority is to keep people safe. We have done that. I'm very proud of our building standards people who have done a very good job on this. Um, and it's, it's taken a lot of time and energy for the council to do it. But we've acted um, appropriately. And the work that we've undertaken to keep people safe is, is, is very laudable in, in, my, in my book. And the stakeholders, the people who own the buildings, are the ones who need to take the action to, make, to mitigate these problems. Transport Scotland has put together a task force to try and find a solution. But it's a solution you'll find repeated across Scotland. Old buildings with no one taking responsibility until they become dangerously derelict and local authorities are left to pick up the pieces. Is that happening where you live? Is there a building that you pass every day that's been lying empty, an old factory, an office block or whatever, the vandals get in, they knock the windows out, they spray paint all over the place. And you drive past it every day and you think, what a mess. People coming into your town, village or city, seeing this as they enter the, 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 your area, they think, what impression is that giving to visitors? Una Richards from the Scottish Historic Buildings Trust has been discussing the problem with Kerry-Ann Doherty for Scotland's Talking. It's run down, it's, it's not quite derelict yet, but is in badly in need of repair. And that's probably the most common type of building that we're seeing now. And the buildings that we're coming across are usually quite um, complex buildings that either are large, like the Station Hotel, or are in difficult areas and parts of the countries where their, their original use is no longer viable, um, or just, um, sadly, the wrong building in the wrong location. Um, and that's on a grand scale. But what we are seeing more uh, often now is, um, especially in Edinburgh, where we are based, uh, there's a lot of problems happening now because of absentee landlords, uh, especially in the tenements where... Uh, because the landlords aren't on site, they're not actually seeing the need for repairs to the building. And, and at the end of the day, it's down to the fact that um, buildings are like human beings. Uh, they need, uh, when it's cold, they need a, a warm hat and they need stout shoes and they need a good overcoat. And if you have all of those, you'll be warm. And with a building, you need a roof that doesn't leak. You need windows that don't leak uh, and you need um, to remove water from the, 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 the base. And then a building is in good shape and good condition. The station hotel obviously isn't because it's been neglected for a number of years. 
Do you think these absentee landlords are causing problems for councils because they are being left, you know, almost to pick up the pieces, um, especially with the Air Station Hotel? People can't get on a train. It's, it's a public. It's in a public place. You know, it's affecting um, people's lives. And this landlord is nowhere to be seen. In fact, we believe they're in Malaysia. Right. Uh, absolutely, because uh, obviously the council's duty is to protect the public. So the only uh, course of action that the council have, which is what they're doing at the moment, is to remove the danger from the public. And that's uh, causing disruption to the train station and people who just want to go about their daily lives. And, and that's no fault of the general public. Una Richards, who's from the Scottish Historic Buildings Trust, Chatting there to Carrie Ann Doherty, giving you a little bit of a, an insight as to, to, to the problems. Esther Clark has been campaigning for years to save the Station Hotel in Air and says it's a very sorry story. It's a very beautiful building. It was built in 1886. The grand staircase and the ticket office with two big entrances, one from the platform and one from the uh, front entrance, led into this magnificent ticket office with marble staircase and mosaic and the marble and mosaic were done by the same company that did the Glasgow City Chambers. You're talking about a building that was called in the newspapers a castle in air when it was built and it thrived. So it's gone downhill quite a lot. In the 1960s it was bought over by Rio Stakis and uh, he removed the grand staircase and the ticket office and made it very small and he made that area into a banqueting suite. But it opened as a, it functioned as a hotel for about well, a long time, and six years ago, roughly, it closed. What we need to do, really, with this hotel, which is a B-listed building, which means it's of national importance, what we need to do with it is conserve it and develop it into perhaps two or three smaller units to do different things. That's all very well, Esther, but where's the money coming from? Particularly, as uh, we've heard, we think the, the owner of that particular building is abroad. And the word that was used so many times, absentee landlords. So is there a building, you know, we're talking there about this hotel in air and the problems it's causing. But um, going to where you are, is, is there a building that you see every day in your town, as I say, your city, wherever you are, that um, sort of brings a little bit of shame to you? And you think to yourself, why can't they do something? The council will go through so many steps, but the absentee landlords, you know, that I can see from their point of view, if they are abroad somewhere, they've not been getting any rent money coming in for years from the building because it's derelict, nobody wants it, and therefore they're quite happy to just let it go to ruin and hopefully that the council will take over and carry out the work. And if the council can then track down the absentee landlord, they should bill them for us. What are your thoughts? Oh, treble three, twenty twenty, four oh one. Stephen, hello. Good morning, Charlie. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. So, old buildings. What do you think? Knock them down? I would knock them down personally because at the end of the day, health and safety has got to prevail here. Because once the vandals get in there and you put the emergency services, lives at risk, get into these old buildings. And I heard the lady saying they've, they've removed, removed the problem in here. They haven't removed the problem. The building's still there. If you go and cash your mind back to the Commonwealth Games, they evicted people, repossessed people's houses, compulsory purchase orders on these people against their will. They couldn't do it there, Ali. But you're saying they can't do it now. 
Hello? Sorry, Stephen, we, lo- we lost you there. Give us that again. Historic Scotland has got... You see the historic Scotland, I've had a few these old buildings. They're in the past. We know they're grand and all that, but if that building was in, say, was in Waverley Station, or like, or like Central Station in Glasgow, they'd be pulling that down, Ali. They'd be shutting the station. But who, who, who would be... I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm, I'm wondering who would be pulling it down? Because so end of the day, the council, which have done for many years dangerous building against the people's wills, of two buildings down in Alley, they were into the courts, yeah, they're in the bill, that's, you know, I don't know, because at the end of the day, if there's nobody there, then the council become, they own that property, they own that ground, because if that particular landlord comes out of the woodwork and says that's my bill, you owe me X, Y, Z, well, you've not paid X, Y, Z in council tax or rates in that building for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. You'll get a bill for demolition there, that building. You can't just cut off communities. They've still got livelihoods, mortgages, and emergency services. What go to your hospitals, Ali? You can't sit and wait a woman a prayer when somebody's going to come out of Honolulu or something like that, or Beijing. You know, that's what you're saying there, Ali. They're in these Malaysian foreign countries. No. That's the council as well. I've got a lot of old parish schools and old buildings lying empty. Are you thinking about the homeless folk? You would eradicate homelessness right through the cab overnight, Ali. There is money there. You can fund money for Commonwealth Games. You can fund money for World Cups. You can fund money for a lot of damn things. Yeah, when it comes to the most important thing is assets is people. We're the next generation. Pumpernius, the National Health, any of that, Ali. They waste hundreds of millions and nothing. And now these poor folk do the air, Strunar, Kermarnock, they're cut off. All the livelihoods, businesses, mm-hmm. they become a ghost town. And the guy last week said British Rail, he was right. But both sucks, but I think it's got to be tough. Well, them electric company, we're getting there tomorrow. They're not waiting for filling that down. End of story. Okay, Stephen, thank you for your view, as always. Um, uh, gives you food for thought. Uh, Jim's in Dundee. Hello, Jim. Good morning, Ollie. Good morning. I want to be, speak about something different a new building. A new building, right? Okay. Yeah. In front of the V&A and the new hotel, it's at the station. Ah, yes. The metal, the metal, just getting erected. The metal structure that is coming up through from yeah. the ground, yes. Now, the nearest street to the V&A is Union Street. And you walk down Union Street, you can't see the V&A. Now, this is meant to be a £90 million building, the pride of Dundee. And they stick a new office block in front of them. Who thought of that? Well, <laughs> uh, um, seemingly, what I was informed was the planning permission for that building was up and running and agreed to before they even done the V&A in the new hotel. Right. Well, I, I followed it a bit as well, and you know. It has been said by um, the council, I think, and I'm not quoting them. I think the idea is that it, it was that building was always meant to be there. Correct. Um, yeah. It was going to be part of regenerating the the waterfront. Although I, what I don't understand is why it would always want to be there when they took a previous multi thing down, the old council offices. Correct. But yeah. um, no, I, I I I'm with the many people who think you know here it is. The V&A are a couple of weeks away from opening. Um, but the V&A will still be there, Jim, won't it? I mean, just because you can't see it coming down Union Street, there yeah. again, 
you can't see it from some hotel rooms now either. An office block with a hotel on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, time will tell, Jim. I don't know. The planners, we should, you know, let them get on at times and say, you know, you're never going to agree with everything planners do, are we? Oh, that's true. And, but I, I, I think, you know, talking of buildings, when you, to, you are talking about Dundee, when you come into Dundee along Riverside, coming in from uh, the west uh, and you come across all those old insurance buildings and everything that was the so-called technology part right on the front, all the windows broken, all the graffiti all over it. You know, that's, that is a prime case of the council trying to get something done, but I think the, land, the guy that owns the building there is, lives in Ireland or something. He doesn't care about the building, and he's certainly not going to waste any money on it because he, no. he can't get anybody go, to go into it. That, so that's, that's where we're at. It's a bit like... The, the hotel in air, it's there, it belongs to somebody else. But what do we do to get rid of them? Yeah, I just wondered if, uh, you know, uh, how the, 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 the hotel above the railway station feel, because they were on about the, the new hotel, brilliant views up the River Tay, the V&A. Now, obviously, that's going to be blocked by this new building. It's got to be. Well, it's a metal structure at the moment, Jim. We're just going to have to wait and see. Thank, yeah. <laughs> thank you very much indeed for your comment, though. More of those comments uh, coming in on social media. We'll read some of those out for you in a moment. This is Scotland's Talking. We were talking earlier about Saget butts and the uh, damage they're causing by being thrown into drains and just thrown down on the pavements and things, uh, damage they're causing to marine life. Here's uh, a comment from Jim. He says, don't agree, I go... We're talking about the lack of bins to put them in. Uh, I don't agree, I go to Stirling and bins are plenty and outside my pub a bin less than t- 10 yards away. Uh, but, however, the bins are there, but the smokers still chuck them on the ground. Everybody does it. Um, but please, think twice. Thank you for that. Um, how about bringing the price of cigarettes down a wee tad? And cigarette sellers issue smokers with a small pencil-sized disposable cigarette butt pouch for 10p. I've got a wee one that I use. Got it from Tesco years ago. Thank you, H, uh, who's in Edinburgh. On the lines is Janet. Hello, Janet. Good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, darling? Good, thank you. Good, good. So your thoughts on cigarette butts then? Well, I'm a non-smoker, but my partner is. Uh, but we go down to Liverpool quite often. And down there, they've got on-spot fines for people that throw... Uh, cigarettes away and there was even a woman uh, at a table in the cafe uh, she was flicking her ash into the ash tray but the wind was there and it blew away and someone came and it says on spot find and she says but you've not got me and he rolled the camera footage back and it showed her the wind just blowing the ash away but she had £80 to pay for the ash mm. well, I don't know if you heard one of our callers earlier, Glenn, he was saying he was fine the same thing 
Yeah. Um, and, you yeah. know, that, that stopped him. He takes them home with him now or ke- keeps the butts until he finds a bin to put them in. And, and I think a, a, a little piece that we did this morning on that was just to, to make as as, you know, aware, make smokers aware of the damage. And we've had a few comments from smokers saying that they weren't aware of it. And, and that was the whole thing that... Uh, the chief, chief executive of Keep Britain. But, sorry to bring it up, but see the rubbish. There's very little rubbish because people seem to, if they can't find a bin, take it home with them. And see travelling up and down to Edinburgh now, uh, I've, I'm aware of what a dirty city that it's become. Uh, there's so much litter lying around really so that was just my point yeah that's what it's all about it's all about opinions janet thank you very much indeed for that's maybe one we can tackle on another program as you know the cutbacks in councils councils everywhere cutting back on uh street cleaning etc and um she's saying edinburgh's becoming looking a dirty city susan is in renfrew hi susan what's your hi, Ali. How are you? i'm okay thank you what do you want to talk about today well, actually, it's about the four billion that um, Theresa May is wanting to send to Africa. Right. I think she should be keeping it in this country just now to receive it. How it turns out with Brexit. Mhm. When we don't know where it's going to go, I mean, we could be lying flat in our face. Um, but also, when you, I heard you saying um, about the pensioners, are there poor pensioners? Mhm. Well, Ali. I've got a good idea where they can put some of the money. You could give it to all the poor pensioners that have to work on until they're 65, who were promised by the government when they were 15 years old that they would get their pension when they're 60. And the government have now broken that promise. And me included have now got to wait an extra six years for a pension. Now, I know your opinion on this. <laughs> but do you know, I never, said, I never said a word, Susan. No, but you did in uh, programmes previous. What did I say? You said that, um, oh, so what, we just have to work. You never said it in a bad way. You said, well, well, we just have to work till we're older and that's it. That's the way it goes. Get on with it. Get on with it, that's what you said. But, Ali, not everybody can get on with it. Yeah. There are people there that are on the breadline because of this pension change. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them and I've worked with these people. So maybe she could speak to whoever made the policy. I think it was um, Cameron and Clegg who brought that change of policy in within a two-year period instead of a 10-year period. I think, you know, I do have a lot of sympathy for those who have just sort of slipped under it, if you know what I mean, and having yeah. to wait, you know. I, I, you know, I, I thought your opinion was different than that. I just thought, oh, Ali thinks we're all rich, so. <laughs> but well, um, there is a lot of poor people out there, men and women, who have lost their partners, can't work and have nothing. They're having to rely on the Social Security until they get their pension. Yeah. OK, Susan, thank you. Sorry, we're running out of time on the programme, so uh, just moving on. Uh, Don Wallace says, rather than give £4 billion to Africa, spend the money on her own country, abolish food banks, build affordable housing, invest more to the NHS and education, create more jobs and make this country great again. The woman is a complete pathetic rambling idiot. It's about time her and her government, uh, it's about time they went, basically.
Philip, hello. Good morning. How did you? Morning, Ali. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. We've only got a couple of minutes left, Philip, so I'll leave you to make your point, please. Right, OK. Uh, well, just for the general trend about Theresa May, you know, that investing £4 billion in Africa, of all places, the majority of African countries, you know, they're impoverished, they've got raging debt, most of the population are living in mud, mud huts. What are we going to get in return for this investment? Well, that's that's the point. According to her, it will be, um, you know, she wants to invest in the country because we'll get some return. I'm not quite sure what. I think even, Philip, though, at this stage, you know, where we are with Brexit, when we don't know what's going to happen, she's off to Africa. You know, it's just, I don't know. It just seems to be, let you know, let, let me go out there and I don't need to worry about Brexit for a couple of weeks. It just seems well, what, a bit strange. Well, what, 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 what gets my beef is, right, she's investing this money and it's not hers to give. Very good point. And I would suggest, we, probably we wrongly, do. and I'll get shot down for it, but I'll suggest that when it comes time to give that money, she will not be Prime Minister. <sighs> well, I'm just thinking about the present alley, right? I mean, to me, Theresa May represents the worst type of gambler. She's using other people's money. If she wants to be the role, play the role of a philanthropist, why doesn't she take, invest this out of her own pocket? She's not short of a bother to herself. I think she's earning about £70,000 a year as Prime Minister. Mm. OK, going to leave it there, Philip. My apologies to Michael and to the others that were lined up as well. We have uh, run out of time and uh, certainly covered... Um, Quite a lot of subjects today and uh, lots of comments coming in as well. I see more of them on my Facebook, Ali Bally Show, the people writing on there. Um, I think I'll leave you with this thought that has seriously come in from a listener after um, Stephen has given his view. This listener says, Stephen for Prime Minister. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Like and share us. And come back for the next episode next week.